chapter 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Go down to Egypt, live in the land. Do not go down to Egypt. <laughs> Come on, preacher. Do not live in, go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands and my decrees and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. What if? What if a famine, right? What if a famine comes in? Like everyone else. I mean, you can picture the scene, maybe you can, that, that everyone in, in, the, in Canaan is, is loading up their wagons and they're leaving town. I mean, it's a famine. People, you don't hang out when there's a famine because there's not, there's not going to be anything to eat. So everybody's leaving. And Isaac's looking around like, well, this is where my dad told me to stay, but I guess I should go with everybody else. Reasonable fear to fear famine. He got all the way to the edge. Like, Gerar is the, the border of Canaan, right, before you go in to the, the land of the Hittites. And, and he got all the way to the border and God spoke to him and said, don't go any further. Don't go any further. Stay here. Stay here in Canaan. Then we see him, in, as we continue in verse 7. Then the men in that place asked him about his wife, and he said, She is my sister, because she, he was afraid to say, She's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah. Sound familiar? Because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why would you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to the people, Anyone who harms this man or his wife surely will be put to death. What if? What if they kill me? Right? What, that's a reasonable fear. What if they kill me? The same mistake of his, his father, lying about his wife. And this isn't a little white lie. He is genuinely putting her life at risk to protect himself. But that's not the first time a patriarch has done that, right? I mean, his dad did it just back in chapter 20. And before that in chapter 13, right? His dad was well-versed in it. it you know, let me just say something first here about this, that... that We've often excused these sorts of behaviors in people's lives, calling them a generational curse. Like he had no choice but to do that. that well, that's just that's, that's a generational Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that about other people, that it's a generational curse. I want to just tell you flat out that that is, a non, that is not a biblical idea. 
at all, that being a generational curse. It's learned behavior. Learned behavior. Just because your father or your mother had a particular problem doesn't mean that, that you were cursed by God in order to do the same thing. We can't blame those things on God. That was his choice to dishonor his wife. Just like addictions or learned behavior. We're all created to be addicted. I mean, God, God tells us, to give me all your heart. God says, be addicted to me. If it's abuse, that's not a curse from God. That is learned behavior. They have anger problems. That amygdala is all freaking out. And instead of knowing how to handle their anger, they, they let it out on people around them that they shouldn't. Smoking. Cancer. Diseases that, we've, that I've heard people say, oh, that's a generational curse. No. No. It's, it's genetics, right? Some of it. Or it's choices. It's not a curse from God. Now, when we talk about Isaac and his marriage to Rebecca here, yes, his dad did the same thing, the same mistakes. And they weren't approved by God back then, and they won't, they're not approved by God now. But we're looking through this marriage through 21st century eyes. Remember that. We're looking at their marriage in a very different way than they saw their marriage. But still, even then, God intended that one man and one woman would give themselves for life. That they'd be committed to each other. I mean, that's, that's Genesis chapter 2. Husband, to be fully devoted to her and she to be his helpmate, his partner. But that's not what we have here. We see Isaac using his wife. But then one day, the birds start tweeting and the bees start buzzing. And they're doing what couples do. And the king, Abimelech, by the way, that was the same name given to the king way back when. That's a title for the king in Philistines. That's not his name. That's his title, Abimelech. He sees them and the birds and the bees. That's what that caressing means. That's what that, if, you're, if your version of the Bible says playing, that's, that's, what, that's, that's that, that kind of playing, right, that, that husbands and wives do being romantic and he calls him out he calls Isaac out what are you doing to me she's not she's not your sister and he orders the people to leave him alone to not harm them he, he puts out orders of protection for Isaac and Rebecca Isaac feared the famine and God said stay here and I'll provide for you he feared the Philistines, and the king said, don't worry, no one's going to touch you. And still, he doesn't fully trust God. And yet, God remains faithful. Look at this next passage. Isaac planted crops in the land. I don't know if you read that one. Maybe. Maybe. Isaac planted crops in the land, and the same year he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich. And his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. 
So the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped them up, filling them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, Gerar where he settled. So this idea of this, these uh, wells, right? The wells, when you dug a well, it kind of was like your stake putting a flag in it. Like, this is mine, right? So when he had these wells in his father's name, right? And he opened them back up and named them his father's. That's saying, these are mine like they were my father's, is what he's saying. And the, the, the other herdsmen, they come and they say, no, 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 this ain't yours. We're filling it in. They're like kicking dirt in the hole, right? They're like, no, 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 this isn't yours. Move on. Move on. He's become rich. He's become rich. And now he looks at it like, I can lose everything here. I can I could lose it all. Am I gonna stay here and like let my herds die? Let my crops wither? God had told him to stay there, right? God hadn't said move yet. He prospered in in their midst. God was with them. And yet now, while he's got all this stuff, what does he do? He moves away. He moves away. Ever have fear of losing everything? How often do you check that 401k? Yeah, me too. What if? The next one, we see him continuing to run. He runs in verse 18. Isaac opened wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham while the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek. Because, means, means argue. Because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So they named it Sitna. Quarrel. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. See, he's focused on his wealth. But the enemies are coming after him. He's focused on his wealth, but he has people getting in his, like, he has enemies, people who are genuinely trying to take away whatever he's got. Maybe you have people who are maybe not enemies in the sense that they're looking to kill you, but maybe to take advantage of you, to to take something that you have, someone who's in conflict with you. God was at work, but Isaac was looking over his shoulder, worrying about who's going to take it from him. And so he runs. He runs again, and this time he runs into God. From there, from the the well where he was going to prosper, right? In Rehoboth, he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. See what's happened here? He's replaced the what-ifs with worship. 
He's replaced the what ifs with worship with God. God reiterates the promise that he's told Abraham that I'm sure Isaac grew up his whole life here and again and again and again. This is the land that God has given us and he's going to prosper us here. And all this is going to be ours. All of our descendants will live in this land and we'll be as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? God had told him this over and over and over again. And now Isaac has already heard it. This is the second time he's heard it. But what does God changes at this time? Did you hear it? Did you hear how he changed it this time? He added two little words in there. Fear not. Stop being afraid. Stop running. This is my promise. Stop running away from where I've put you. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not, he says. Isaac recognized that only God is to be feared. Only God is to be feared. That faith in anything else is wrong. And there he builds an altar. And then his people dig a well. Shows off his faith. His faith has been evident to everybody else. Or rather, his God has been evident to everybody else. All along. But he never saw it. He never saw it. That God was at work in his life. He never fully grasped the significance of it. Until he had prayed, worshiped God, his fear had resided, right? Because he kind of stopped, takes stock in his life to look back and see what God has been doing. And now he recognizes it. Oh, yeah, God's been there all along. The fear subsides. His fear in the what ifs turns to faith in God and he worships. And then in verse 26... Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuza, his personal advisor, and Fikol, the commander of his forces. Now you'll recognize that that not only Abimelech, but but Fikol has been in the story before too. Both of those names we've seen before, they're titles. These these historians say these are not the same people uh, that showed up in Abraham's life way back when, but uh, these are the titles of the people, a commander of the forces and the king who show up to talk to Isaac. Isaac asked him, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? Like, like you kicked me out. What are you doing here, right? Like, that's a reasonable question to ask. They answered him, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you. Like they say, okay, I know we kicked you out, but God has been working with you. You can't deny it. We see it. And we think we better be friends with you. (laughs) Right? They see it. That you would do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well, wink, wink, when we kicked you out. Peacefully, he says. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Again, he sees that they're blessed by the Lord. Isaac made them a feast. And they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. You see that? What's Isaac's response to the people who who had wished him ill will before? People who kicked him out, disrespected him, tried to take all his, his wealth by starving his herds. He treated them well with respect. 
He's living boldly now. He's living out of a, of a bold and confident faith, a relationship with God that he's, he may have missed it before, but he's not missing it anymore. God calling him and promising him and fulfilling the promises. What, what's amazing to me here is that is the king. Now, now I, 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 always, I always think of this when I think of an unbeliever who's coming and noticing God at work. As, as though we have unbelieving friends, you and I probably do, and they will say, pray for me, right? It's always it's comical to me that, that they would ask me to pray for them when they don't believe in God. I mean, they want something to happen. They genuinely want a miracle in their life. Are we eager to pray for them? I mean, that, that should be the time when we... we we pray like lights out prayers, right? Because we too want God to do something in their lives because they are desperate. Isaac treats them well. Isaac treats them well. He doesn't say, come on now, you guys. Y'all threw me out, and now it's my turn to throw you out. No. Why, why does he treat them so peacefully? Because he has nothing to fear anymore. He has nothing to fear. That same day. His servants found water in the well. They named the well that marked ownership, right, of that land. They named it Sheba. So what can we learn from Isaac? What can we learn from this? I think we can learn a lot. Most importantly, I think that we see that fear is overcome by acknowledging our fear and trusting God. Now, acknowledging our fear and deciding to trust God anyway. That's what we see at work here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Self-discipline. Not to choose to react, but instead to choose to respond to the things that cause us fear. Isaac didn't have a eureka moment and say, man, I know what my problem's been all along. Instead, no, he didn't say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I should not have turned my wife out like that. No, he didn't do that. He was called out for it. His realization to his fear was, was being called out by, a, by someone who's telling him he's a hypocrite. People say that about us Christians, too. I'm not coming to church. It's a bunch of hypocrites. My response? You're right. We are. We should pray, and we don't. We should respect our spouses, and, and we don't. We should do all these things, and you're right, we don't. And that's why we need the Lord. Because if we don't live the life that we're called, that, that he designed for us, we can't without him at work in us. Unless we live relying upon him, we can't live the life that he's created us to live. He lives it through us. Isaac would continue to wrestle with this reality that he was falling short of God's call for his life. He knew it when he, when he left there and moved from well to well to well. We saw it in how he named them, conflict argument right it's like what are you gonna name your children uh, i think we're gonna call them conflict 
Uh, you know, it's not a happy marriage, right? You know, it, when you name the, the major points in your life after bad things happening, that's not good, right? But then his running ran him right into God. His running eventually ran him right into God. I don't know if that's ever happened to you or not. As to me. Not because he was seeking the Lord, but because he was running away from something. Scripture says that God came to him. God came to him. And there he trusted the Lord. He was reminded that, that God has been with him all along. He told him again, this promise that I gave to your father, I'm giving it to you. Fear not. David wrote in Psalm 56, My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose words I praise. In God, I trust and, and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Run in fear? Trust in God. And there, Isaac set up an altar to the Lord, and he worshiped God. Another one from Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. That's what happens when we worship God. When we worship God in, in fear, we worship God. Our, our, our worship, our, our, our faith turns to him. Defeating fears, you see, is about trusting God. Whether it be measuring up in our community, whether it be responding to COVID, keeping me free of a virus, whatever it is, whatever the fear is, staring into our fears with confidence that God is at work will help us push down the, the fight or flight and help us approach it in a way that's, that, that we need to, thoughtfully, prayerfully, faithfully as we seek God in the midst of the thing that we fear. I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. And I don't mind saying that out loud for everybody to hear. But I knew that I didn't want my children to grow up in a dysfunctional family, right? I think anybody who went through that knows that yeah, I don't want my kids to go through that. I didn't want my son to know the sins of my father, right? I just didn't, I wanted him to avoid that. Yet one day there I was, repeating the same life that I had seen my own father live. I had emotionally abandoned my wife and my child, and I was terrified that I was going to lose them now. <clears throat> what could I do? What, what in the world could I do? I was uh, fear, anger at myself, all this stuff. What did I do? I sought the Lord. I turned to God. He led me to turn to him, I have to say. I get, but I gave my life to Christ. And I knew that I wanted my family to know Christ as well. I wanted my family to experience what I had experienced. So I, I began reading scripture and praying for my wife and my family. For our marriage. And then one day my wife comes to me at night. She, she's in the back of the house. And I'm out in the living room or in the kitchen or something. She says... Gary, come back here. And kind of that voice that you say, you actually go, you know, you actually come back there. <laughs> There's some voices where you're like, okay, I'll be there in a second. But this one was one that I was like, okay, let me go find out what's going on. So I get back there and she says, Gary, do you hear that knocking? 
And I'm like, I don't hear anything. You are out of your mind. And But she was adamant. But I hear this knocking back here, and I don't, it sounds like it's on the wall, or it's right here beside me. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, babe. And I can hear pretty good. There was no knocking. At least, not that I could hear. But she could. And she understood that to be God. To be God knocking, calling her into a relationship with him. She responded as though it were God, and the knocking stopped. And it's never been back. He was changing her just as he had changed me. And I I remember that. So when things get tough, I'm reminded to go back and remember. To remember all he has done and all he is doing. Not what might happen, what could happen. Life isn't perfect. We know that. There have been seasons of fear in my life since then, for sure. There have been seasons in your life, I'm sure, when when things you fear seem bigger than life itself. But there is one who can handle everything. There is one. There is one who can take it. And surrendering your life to him, submitting to God, he promises he promises to fill you with his spirit, his power, that you can that you can do the things that you fear. You can't. He promises to give you a strength that enables us to do all we can believe we believe to withstand all things as Paul wrote through him who gives us strength. Not to to endure all things. Not to escape it, but to to be able to endure it emotionally, spiritually. That comes from worship. John Wesley, who, who started this thing we call the Methodist Church, he said this, or he wrote this, rather. He probably said it too. I've never known more than 15 minutes of anxiety or fear. Whenever I feel fearful emotions overtaking me, I just close my eyes and I thank God that he is still on the throne reigning over everything and I take comfort in his control over all the affairs of my life. I take comfort in his control over all the affairs of my life. Can you say that? I pray you can. If you can't, today might be the day. Today might be the day. I mean, you are here after all, hearing these words, the invitation that today you would surrender your life to him and, and that you too would be able to take comfort in his control over all the affairs of your life. Not to fear what God may ask of you, but to trust that what he would ask of you. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing a closing song together. All right? Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Father, that you are good. Thank you, Father, that you provide for us You lead us. That you offer us peace and hope in the midst of trouble. God, for those who are here today who maybe are reading these words and thinking, man, I want to be able to take comfort in God's having control over my life and over the things in my life. Lord, that today we might just surrender to you. Just to pray a simple prayer. Lord, 
take control. I know I've tried to live in control of myself and my life for forever. There are some things, Lord, that I can't accomplish on my own, and I need you. And today, I'm asking you, God, to enter in, to come and take over, trusting that you will give me everything I need to live a life faithful to you. Thank you for Jesus who lived and died and made that way possible. And I believe in him, good Lord. We choose to put our faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord today. We love you. Thank you. Amen.